Well, it is uh, exciting to be here again uh, up on the stage. I heard Chris did a great job last week as he went through Colossians 3, 5 to 17. And I'm here to take on the next section of Colossians, which is 3.18 verses 4 to 1. Uh, and we're taking communion today, so you know, I just want to um, really just get right into this so we can have time to partake. Uh, and I'll kind of give instruction to what this is going to look like as, we, uh, as, as I finish. And so, let us, uh, let's look at this verse, Colossians 3, 18:4-1, and let's read through this. And it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husband, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only with their eye, when their eye is on you, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity and heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Oh, sorry. Continue. Uh, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know what you have. Also have a master in heaven. Uh, before we want to, I'm going to begin with this section of Scripture. You know, there's some feelings that might be bring up as we go through this. And I want us to remember verse 17 from last week. As I mentioned before, as we work through Colossians, we don't do it justice when we break it up like this and read it you know, as chapter by chapter. You know, as we read a book, we read a chapter a day, we put it down for three weeks. That, that's me, and you know, I pick it up later and you need to read the back chapter again. Um, we want to read it as one continuous note, one continuous letter that Paul is sending to the Colossians to help encourage and to, help provi- and to provide help to them. And so we want to remember verse 17 as we head into this next section. Verse uh, Colossians 3.17 says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul is reminding the readers, he's reminding the Colossians uh, that Christ is our motivation. He is the one that we are to serve. He is the one that we think about as we go through life. He is our, what our heart should be focused on and what we should continually remember as we go throughout our day. And then as he says that, verse 18, he kind of gives in you know, some ways that we can do this. This week, uh, I was at the coffee house on Wednesday morning. So on Wednesdays, I like to work in Lake Country. And so I go to the coffee house in the morning. Then I go to Starbucks in the afternoon. And so I'm like all wired up on coffee, shaking. And uh, yeah, they had to escort me out after uh, Starbucks. And so, uh, but actually, shockingly, I get a lot of work done in the privacy of Starbucks. Uh, I don't know. It's, the Lord meets me there. Anyways, uh, this Wednesday, as I was preparing for this, I was at the coffee house, and I was sitting on one of the couches, and I could see a guy to my right, and he was at a table of two. He was by himself, but he would, like, randomly, like, look over like this every once in a while, just look back. And, you know, that, like, you know he wanted to talk. You know he wanted to, to say something. And so eventually, after about his fourth look over, uh, we just started to talk. Uh, and we talked about, oh, we talked about it all. Um, we talked about vaccines, government, work, family, faith. And as we started to chat about some of these things, uh, you know, he was talking about some of the, like, the systems and, like, how, you know, some of them, they aren't there just, you know, looking out, maybe making the sacrifice for a person. 
Sometimes, you know, the systems, it can get political, capitalism can take over, uh, and it's not about, you know, it's sacrificing desires uh, for the person who is next to that, to, to them. And so what we see Paul do here, he's describing a way that helps bring clarity to the function. And he wants to show us that it's about putting the other person first, above you. And so Colossians 3, 18 and 19 is very domestic. And so it has to do with a home, specifically a Christian home. And so moreover, it has to do with the relationship between a Christian husband and a Christian wife. And such it is nothing to say about men or women's roles in society, such as marketplace or politics. There's nothing to say about that. And there are other texts that give us some guidance in those areas, but we do scripture a great injustice by applying it wherever we feel it should be attended. And so the Bible, it never commands nor recommends a general submission of women unto men. It is directed in the spheres of just uh, this Christian home. And so God does not command that men have exclusive authority in the areas of politics and business and education and so on. He doesn't command that. But these scriptures that we see here in 18, 19, they're actually radically elevating. And it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And so this actually contrasts the unfortunate events uh, that women face in the ancient world. Let me give you some context. Under Jewish law, a woman was a thing. She was the possession of her husband, just as much his house or his flocks or his material goods were his. She had no legal right. For instance, under Jewish law, a husband could divorce his wife for any cause, anything he wanted. While a wife, she had no rights whatsoever in the initiation of a divorce. In Greek society, a respectable woman, a woman who was seen as respectable and revered, was one who lived a tight life entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone, not even to go to the market. She lived in the women's apartment and did not like, join the men folk for, even for meals. And so there was this demand for women that they were in complete servitude and commitment, while the man, he can go out as much as he choose. He could have as many relationships uh, outside of marriage as he liked, and there was no stigma on that for the man. But for the woman, there was much stigma. And so under Jewish and Greek laws and custom, all the privileges belong to the husband and all the duties to the wife. And so there is now actually in this section of scripture, there's this equality that's actually being presented that was never there before. The, the rules given here in Colossians were vastly different from those of the day. Wives, they were actually never even addressed in the same sentence as their husbands. They were not even recognized in the same sentence, in the same breath. But here, wives are addressed equally with their husbands, something radically new. In both husbands and wives, they were given duties. And it wasn't just the wife that was just given the duty. They were both admonished in the Lord. And so as I mentioned, the context of what we just read in 18, 19, we have to think about 17, which makes it clear that the totality of their lives was to be regulated by everything we do, we do unto the Lord. And so this brought a vast dignity to both men and women. They were both under the lordship of Jesus, the lordship of Christ as equals. 
So this does not suggest in here or anywhere else in the scripture that the wife is naturally or spiritually inferior to the husband or vice versa. Because we see actually in the Holy Trinity that there's hierarchy, but yet there's equality. The Bible teaches that the son that is simultaneously equal to the father, but yet he submitted to him. And likewise, equality and submitting, it coexists. And so the wife submitting is never to be forced on her husband by, uh, or forced on her by a demanding husband, is the respect that a loving wife recognizes that there must be a head in the home. So what does this mean for women? You know, I didn't feel comfortable saying, you know, what does this mean for women? And so my wife is actually going to come up, and we're just, we're just going to dialogue this a little bit. Um, and it's just she puts on her mask. Here she goes. Yeah. She got extra fancy today because she knew she was going to be on the stage. <laughs> she showered. Okay, so that's when you know it's fancy. She takes the shower stage. Uh, you can grab a mic. Just to take it off. So there are some wrong ways to interpret this section of, of Scripture. Uh, a wrong way that we can interpret it is this. This is the interpretation that favors the husband, which says that it, as it is fitting in the Lord's meaning that the wife should submit to her husband as if God, if he was God himself. Um, this idea is you submit to God in absolutely everything without question. So you must submit to your husband the same way without question. So, Kim, I want to buy, you know what, a brand new car. I'm buying it. That's how little the woman meant. No. Uh, Josh, we're going to talk. No. Uh, I, I don't think we need a, a new car. Well, we sh I want one. And they, they it's a new truck. I want my new truck. Uh, we so it's, don't it's really have money for a new doesn't truck. doesn't matter. I'm not really kind of asking for your opinion. Just kind of saying this is what we're kind of doing. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't usually happen like doesn't, that. It doesn't happen like that. <laughs> But simply put, like, uh, this is just, in no place does Scripture say that a person should submit to another in that way. There are limits to the submission your employer can expect from you. There are limits to the submission parents can expect of children. In no place does the Scripture teach an unqualified, without exception, submission except to God and God alone. To violate this is to commit the sin of adultery. I'm actually making my wife uh, she's, I'm, a, I'm becoming an idol to my wife now. <laughs> not, a, not a model, an idol. And so, second way that this can be misconstrued as interpretation is the interpretation that favors the wife, which says that as long as it's fitting the Lord, means I'll submit to him as long as he does what the Lord wants. And so with this interpretation, then it's the wife's job to decide what the Lord wants. This thinks as that as is fitting is the Lord defines the limit of submission. And this is also wrong. Kim, I, you know, I feel like the Lord's saying we should, you know, let's sell our house and buy something in town, you know, still. No. No? No. But I really feel he's leading God me this told way. me we're not going to. Oh, okay. And yeah. so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is the way it says, I'll submit to my husband when I agree with him. Uh, I'll submit to him when he makes the right decisions and carries them out the right way. But when he makes the wrong decision... He isn't in the Lord, so I shouldn't submit to him then. It is fitting to do so. Simply put, that is not submission at all. So what does this kind of look like? <laughs> he told me, on, asked me. <laughs> oh, 
He asked me on Wednesday, and then we had um, a young family come out. And so this morning, my notes would drive Jeremy nuts right now, because like half is scribbled out and half is circled. But as I was looking it up, this instruction, he's not, uh, Paul's not going, husbands lord over your wives. He's saying, wives, you need to submit to your husbands. And right after, he's telling the husbands, but you need to love your wife. So in Ephesians, Ephesians 5.25, it's taken even a step further. It says, husbands love your wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The Greek word that is used um, in this scripture is a military term. And it's meaning to put oneself in rank under another. So that when God grants authority, it is always to help and to benefit those under them. It's never for their own advantage. Now we don't see that in our world, so it makes verses like this a really like big wrestle in our minds because the world has taken something and, and changed it when that's not what God wanted. It's always for the betterment. It's always for the blessing of those under them. And it's never for their own advantage. As I was reading this next part, it kind of like, I don't know, it really stuck to me. So like Jesus said, oh gosh, I just called you Jesus. As Jeremy said, oh, forgive me, Jesus. Uh, Jesus is co-eternal and he's co-equal with God. But he submitted himself to God, even to the point of the cross, because Satan's dominion would be broken if he did. Jesus' death changed it all. And we know that Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. But so for us to have like a strong dominion over Satan, we're supposed to reflect. Like husbands and wives are supposed to be an example to the world of God and, and his church. And so for us to completely fulfill the purpose that we've been given, we need to walk together. We need to walk um, in a godly way where, yes, I'm submitted, but because, because we choose to walk like that, we have authority over the enemy and he doesn't have that dominion. We're taking something back because we're being proper reflections of Christ. Our marriages are to reflect Christ and his church. We are supposed to reflect his image and it will crush Satan's domain. So when marriage is done right, it's super, super powerful. Um, so there's a few like examples of, I think when we think of what submission looks like, there's about three that come like a, a healthy image, right? In Titus 2.4 it says, for wives to love their husband, it's not a nagging and putting him down. It's not a pointing out of his shortcomings, but it's an encouraging, a loving, a building up, and a respecting. Uh, there's times in our marriage where, where we'll sit down and we'll discuss something. We'll kind of have different, not opinions, but feelings towards the situation. And Jeremy has never been somebody that's just gone and made a decision that's like greatly affecting our life. Like he can buy milk and doesn't need my permission, right? <laughs> um, but there's like, there's a respect and there's a trust where um, I know an older couple, and I know I'm, I'm speaking to a whole bunch of people that have been married way longer than me and probably some of you have kids way older than me. So it seems like, 
there's probably better people up here to do this. But I've, um, we have some people in our lives who have been married for years and years and years. And the husband was telling me one time, he's made some decisions in ministry that his wife was like, I just, I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. He's like, I felt like it was and we did it. He's like, and it blew up. <laughs> and he's admitting this and he's saying, you know, I should have taken the time and talked with her more about it and taken what she felt into account more. And this is someone that's been married like 40 years. There's a trust, there's a trust that happens which creates the, res the respect, right? We need to respect each other. It's gonna fall. Yeah, it's not about nagging, it's about loving and respecting. It does not imply that wives have to be passive or uh, just, okay, whatever you say, right? Like the first example, whatever you say, like we'll do it. But there's something like God's created us to be one and we need what each other has. And we need the conversation and I, I need Jeremy's input into stuff in my life. And he actually needs, he needs my input and in his because God's placed us in each other's lives. We're one together. That without closeness and truthfulness, there can't be a strong relationship. That's not a relationship. But it all has to be in the context of love. And then there's... Um, another way, right, so that's in the context of like a healthy marriage, I guess. It's a lot easier for a wife to, to submit to their husband in, in the saying, like, I know we'll decide, but ultimately, like, I'll stand with the decision that you make. I'm not going to be like, when it blows up, well, told you so, right? Like, that's not respect and that's not love to him, and I see that a lot. And so when we share and then we walk together, in that and we stand united in that decision. But then there's those situations where what happens when, when the husband's not really following the Lord. In 1 Peter 3, 1, it says, wives in the same way submit yourself uh, to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe in the word, they may be won over without words by the but by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence in your lives. And we have a front row seat to this with um, a couple in our lives. And uh, she's a Christian, he's not. And she told me one day, she's like, I just, he doesn't want me to go to church. And she's had a lot of Christian women in her life walk away because of the way she's chosen to respect her husband. Because they're like, this isn't respect. But she's like, I feel like God's saying to trust him. And that is if I show love and respect to my husband, it's gonna do something in his life. And so we've been here three years and we've seen, <laughs> we've seen this like switch happening in him. And not because she's being rude and disrespectful, she's super respectful and she's super loving and super kind and super encouraging and of who he is. And all of a sudden it's, it's even like little things where he's telling his kids, you guys have an amazing mom. That's never something that's been said in their marriage. But she is showing him love and respect and his heart is softening to God where he'll come up and he'll ask her questions about her faith. And so in that way she chose, and it's not like she threw her relationship with God aside, it's she did it privately, her and God, for a time being knowing that 
as I honor him, I'm gonna trust God with this in our lives. And I know some maybe doesn't always work out like that, but I'm witnessing it happening and it's a pretty amazing thing to see right now. And then the last thing is when, uh, so we look back at the military rank and so the point of the person in charge is to make the best decisions for those under them. And right now, if you look in our news, there's like all sorts of things about inappropriate things happening in the military. So it's kind of a weird um, thing to look at, but where they're abusing their position. And so in those cases, I, my dad was a pastor for years and they pastored a pretty conservative church. And there was a lady that came and said like, my husband is beating me. And my dad took her to a safe house. And there was people in the church angry with my dad. And my dad said, <laughs> we need to protect. And so I know there's people that have come out of or are in relationships where they're, that's not okay and those need to be dealt with on an individual basis. Um, that's kind of its own. This actually, this scripture could be a whole sermon in itself. Uh, but so we need, submission is res respect and response to leadership, but when it's being abused, we, we can't just allow that either. Um, yeah, it's kind of a... Uh. In unequally yoked marriages, it's instructed for women to love and respect their husband, and in Christian marriages, it's recognizing like we're, we're equal, but there's... There's Jeremy answers to the Lord, so he's got to lead us well. <laughs> but I need to empower him and encourage him to lead us well, too. So I don't know. Hopefully awesome. that covered enough. Good. But... Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it was such, we could talk about this topic all day, and we could be here for a while. Um, and you know what? We're in a little bit more of the scripture here to go through. Uh, thank you for sharing, Kim. Uh, yeah, we don't, husbands, in every human relationship, the command to submit is not absolute. There are some exceptions to this command for a wife to submit to her own husband. Like when the husband asks the wife to sin, like she, she must not submit. Like when the husband is medically incapacitated, insane, or under the influence of mind-altering substance, the wife doesn't have to submit at that moment. And when the husband is violent and physically threatening the wife, you know, it does, the wife shouldn't submit. And when the husband breaks the marriage bond by all three, the wife does not need to submit to her husband being in this adulterous relationship. So, husbands and fathers. This is the next section of scripture. And I'm just going to touch quickly on this, and we're going to have communion. And this isn't to make it lighter for the husbands and fathers. It's just uh, understanding time and uh, also wanting to have communion together. It says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Husbands, we are called to, to love our wives. Like, uh, what a novel thought. Like, it seems so silly that that's being called to essay this here. But it's a command that we all have to take to heart that this is not an erotic love or a friendship love, but an agape love which involves unceasing care and loving sacrifice for the wife's entire well-being. And so we must sacrificially love thinking about that other person more than we think about ourselves. So a parallel passage is Ephesians 5, 25 to 33. 
And it gives this archetype of like the love that is called for here, especially in verse 25. And it says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And we think about that love. That's a huge love. A massive love. But this is the type of love he's calling us to, husbands. This radical command to love is only fulfilled when a husband loves his wife in the imitation of Christ's love. And so we can read this passage and think Paul means, you know what? Husbands, you know, be kind to your wife or husbands, be nice to your wife. And there's no doubt that maybe for some marriages, this would be a huge improvement. But that isn't what Paul writes about. What he really means is husband continually practice self-denial for the sake of your wife. And so the word agape has little to do with emotion. It has much to do with self-denial for the sake of one another. It's not the emotion of love. It's recognizing I will lay down my life for this person. I love them so much. It's a love that it loves without changing. It's a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It's a love so great that it can be given. And you know what? Maybe when it doesn't feel appealing. It's a love that loves even when it's rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. So our husbands, our future husbands, we, this is what we're called to do. Love unconditionally. Put yourself above your spouse, or put yourself below your spouse. Um, put your spouses above us. I'm going to get that right sometime. And so, it's getting hot in here. Wow, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we are to honor, value, respect, guard, protect, show delight in our wife. This is something a husband is, you know what, it's supposed to plan to do. It's supposed to work to do. And it's not just simply on Valentine's Day or wedding anniversaries, but throughout the whole year. And the thing that we put off is harshness. And it belongs to the old nature. Husbands aren't to be scathing, bitter, resentful, or sarcastic towards our wives. My wife just needs to be stopped being sarcastic towards me. <laughs> it's the Canadian way is what she tells me. Just kidding. <laughs> um... Fathers, and now fathers and future fathers, we are not to embitter our children or they will become discouraged. Millions of children, even in our Christian homes, experience a constant reign of criticism. Parents, fathers, we have to understand and that discipline is to be given, but so is encouragement. There needs to be more encouragement than discipline. Obedience is to be nurtured by love and praise. We can, you know, we want our kids to be obedient. And we actually how we do that is by loving them, praising them, obviously disciplining them when things go not so well. But we must never cause our children to lose heart. My dad, uh, he was someone who encouraged uh, amazingly well. I never felt broken or embittered by his parenting. Like he would discipline uh, me when he needed to. Uh, I'm not going to say how much that was, but you know what? It was not as much as my other siblings because I was the golden child. Just kidding. I don't know if you're watching this, mom and dad, but I could tell that he hated every minute of it, though. He's crying. I'm crying. And so my dad's super soft. Even like he was here uh, just a month ago, and he just loves to give hugs and kisses, and he still gives me a kiss. Um, but I would go to leave to get gas, and he'd be like, like, back in five minutes, Dad. And he's like, son, come here. So I'm going to give you a hug. And I love you. Give me a kiss. Jeremy, give me a kiss. Like, and so making me kiss him. Uh, and we're not even Italian. And so I don't even, like, 
It's just the way he was. And so he still does this. He's still so encouraging uh, and loving and caring. Fathers, there are ways that we can exasperate our children by irritability, grouchiness. We can exasperate them with harsh and overstrict rules. Like the zealous Christian parent, we can put can be tempted to say no to virtually everything like our child asks. Rather, actually, we should be looking as parents for opportunities to say yes to many, as many things as we can, say consciously, say yes to, that, you know, it will keep them safe. But our reasons for saying no must be valid, such as safety, morality, or health. Like over strictness, not strictness, but over strictness sometimes closes a lazy approach to raising children. Because we want to encourage them. We want to build them up. We want to give them opportunities to succeed and to fail. And then we want to encourage them in both. The worst thing parents and fathers can do is to keep their children at a distance. The worst thing we can do is keep them at a distance. An off-quoted survey says that fathers spend an average of 37 seconds a day with their children. This is not going to create healthy children, healthy fathers, healthy homes. Few things are more disheartening when a father comes home and doesn't spend any time simply just blurting out rules and then sends their kid to bed. If we talk to our kids in our culture who are struggling and who are feeling lost and discouraged and we listen to reports, the response would be because of a lack of a father influence. And it isn't just because the dad, they don't have a dad at home. You can have a dad at home, but still isn't there. Children who grow up with parents who provoke them will be discouraged. We don't want to provoke our kids. They won't feel the love. They won't feel the support of their parents like they should. And they will believe that the whole world is against them because they feel that their parents are against them. The people that are so called to love them, to look after them, to nurture them, to encourage them. They'll then think everybody is against me, even if my, because my parents are against me, then nobody's for me. This reminds us how important it is to season our parenting with tons and tons of grace. We need to be gracious, gentle, forgiving, long-suffering with our children, and as God sees it, as God is with us. Kids, you're not off the hook. I know we don't have many kids in this service right now, but for those who are, you know, it's kids in the service, teenagers still under the authority of your parents at home, uh, we want you to listen to this. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3 says, that it is right, and then goes on to say, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. We're supposed to listen to our parents. I know, we listened to the song when I was growing up, Parents Just Don't Understand. That was a rap song that I grew up with. But the reason is, they, my parents, our parents, your parents, they understand a lot. I think about my brother. My brother sent me this letter when he was in prison uh, a couple years ago when I went on this missions trip to Scotland. Uh, he was, in the, so my parents arranged this. And so they got him in prison to write a letter to me. And I read it when I was there. And he said this. He's like, I wish I would have listened to my mom and, uh, to mom and dad more as he's reflecting in prison. Like, I wish I was, Jeremy, I wish I would have listened more like you. There's life in listening to your mom and dad. I look at my life. I look at my brother's. My brother's life now, it's time to turn around. But we live differently because of the way we decided to take advice from mom and dad. Now, our last section of scripture, and we're going to take communion here.
Paul says this, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Paul's teaching here was accompanied by a great amount of tension for several reasons. Primarily was the amazingly vast extent of slavery and its dehumanizing nature. Ancient historians estimated that there was some 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, or about half of the population. Practically, everything was done by slaves, even doctoring, teaching. Though there was some appropriate relationship between masters and slaves, basically the lot of a slave was not very happy. Ancient tradition dating back to Aristotle classified slaves as things, as living tools. And some said when you buy a new farm, you toss out the old slaves because they were basically broken tools. Thus, this is melancholy that blanketed the lives of millions in the ancient world. But Christianity's preaching of the gospel with explicit doctrine of equality raised the tension. Consider, for example, Paul's teaching in Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So when Paul was saying this, I'm sure it was eagerly listened to by both slaves and by masters in Colossians. And the advice Paul gives was ultimately revolutionary because in time it brought the downfall of slavery as an institution. But it was also immediately revolutionary in that it brought fullness to the Christian life, whether you were a slave or a master at this time. In the ancient world, this was a domestic fullness because slavery was intensely personal family matter. But Paul is introducing something different and trying to change the narrative. Masters provide your workers with what is right and fair. First, he acknowledges them both, putting them on the same level, level, same field. Give them what they deserve. Treat them right. Treat them fair. He's saying, slaves, there's rewards for you. This was never, there, ever the reality for a slave, an inheritance and a reward. What's today's application? It's largely professional, as we either are bosses or we serve our bosses. As believers, we read this with the understanding of where our profession is. For those who are bosses, how do you run your business? For those who are employees, how do you go about your work? And the apostles' teaching here isn't to be, say, be overworked or have a, you know, a workaholism you know, type of mentality, but simply just to be the best workers, not the ones who work the longest. Worship team, I'm going to call you up. And we're going to have uh, our communion time here. A lot of this section talks about sacrifice. We see that we are to live lives thinking about others in our homes, as we go to work, to put others above ourselves. And we're going to take communion today and recognize the ultimate sacrifice that was made, the, actually the ultimate picture of love. How is this going to look? We're going to, I'm going to pull this table out. We have some communion in the back for those uh, who can't make it all the way down the stairs. But as you come to grab communion, you'll see that there is um, 
the juice in its separate thing, obviously, but now we have the, uh, the cracker in a separate uh, space too. And so you come up, grab one, you can head, you can come down either way, then head back up that way. I encourage you as you do this to put on your mask to come and grab your communion. Uh, and then as you get it, we'll sit back down or stand up, and then we'll partake in this together. And so I'm going to pray. Uh, and after I'm done praying, uh, you can start to make your way down to come grab communion. Or for those uh, who struggle with the stairs of the theater, there's some communion in the back right behind mm -hmm. Betty, if Betty wants to raise her hand right there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are the ultimate picture of sacrifice. And Lord, you call us to live a life of sacrifice in many aspects of our lives, in many areas that we are living. Lord, as fathers, as husbands, as wives, as bosses, as employees, Lord, we are to constantly think about those that are with us, to care about them, to do it as it's honoring to you, Jesus, to do everything that we do with you in our hearts and our minds. Lord, we are going to remember that as we take communion, the ultimate sacrifice made by you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that. Amen.